Please turn with me in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 61. Isaiah chapter 61, and we'll read there from verse 1 through 4, and then from 8 through 11. Isaiah chapter 61, verse 1. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me, because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and to provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. They will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. And then over four, to verse 8, For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and iniquity. In my faithfulness I will reward them and make an everlasting covenant with them. Their descendants will be known among the nations and their offspring among the peoples. All who see them will acknowledge that they are a people the Lord has blessed. I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation and arrayed me in a robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom adorns his head like a priest, as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. For as the soil makes the sprout come up, and a garden causes seeds to grow, so the Sovereign Lord will make righteousness and praise spring up before all nations. How many of you really enjoy the process of waiting? Don't you just love it? Don't you just love to sit around and wait or to stand around and wait? I've been sick for more than three weeks right now, and, and people keep telling me I should go to the doctor. Well, you know, I can't get an appointment. And by the time I get an appointment, I'll probably be better. And I don't want to go to the emergency room at the hospital and sit there and wait for hours with another bunch of sick people. I don't really enjoy the waiting process. I used to be on our denomination's national board, and that involved a lot of meetings in, in Edmonton and Vancouver. And if I was to come home from Edmonton, usually I had to go to the airport, and then you have to sit there, you have to hurry up and get to the airport, and then you have to wait because you need to be there an hour and a half ahead of time. So then you sit there and wait. And then if you're flying um, you know, WestJet, well, their hub is in Calgary, so there's no such thing as a flight from Edmonton to Saskatoon, so then you got to take this little hop to Calgary, and then you sit there for four hours and wait for a flight to Saskatoon, and by the time you get to Saskatoon, you may as well drive because it's just about as quick to do that. But this waiting, nobody really enjoys waiting. I sure don't. Uh, I don't miss, uh, I miss the board meetings in terms of 
of, of knowing what's going on and being involved in, in some of the processes. What I hated was the waiting times. I don't like waiting. And the day gets really long when you don't know how long you have to wait. A couple of years ago, Kathy and I had a, a midwinter break in Florida. And, and on the way back, as we were dropped off at the airport at Orlando, we went to our gate, and lo and behold, uh, the airplane had broken down, and they said, we don't know when we're going to get you out of here. Well, thanks a lot. We had a connecting plane to catch in Denver to get to Saskatoon. We had plans. And by the way, that was the day that the volcano blew up in Iceland, and all the people started you know, uh, building up in the airport in Orlando. There were people and luggage and stuff all over the place for people that couldn't get out of town. And so we waited, and we waited, and everybody in, in the gate area there is on their phone trying to make alternate arrangements to get out of there because nobody wants to wait. <coughs> and finally, <coughs> finally, they said, okay, we found you, we got you another airplane, and we'll get you out of here. And uh, so Kathy and I flew to Denver, had to stay there overnight and come home the next day and all that other fun stuff. But nobody likes to wait. And the day gets really long when you don't know how long you have to wait. And when it comes to God's work in this world, we're still waiting. And we don't know how long we have to wait. And sometimes we get tired of waiting and you feel like giving up and say, what's the point? You get bored. How much longer? Are we there yet? But one of the realities of Advent is that Advent is a season where we renew our hope so that we don't grow weary in waiting. Advent is a season where we renew our hope so we don't grow weary in waiting. And if you look at the book of Isaiah, Isaiah was waiting for a new reality. Why were they waiting? See, this whole thing started just after, after creation. And you read the story in Genesis chapter 3 where, where God's perfect creation. And in chapter, chapter 1, God looked at everything that he had made and he said not only that it was good, but it, that it was very good. And then it got marred. It got broken like a new toy that is unwrapped on, on Christmas Eve and, and people play too, <coughs> too roughly with it and, and this brand new toy gets broken <coughs> and it's not fixable. And so people were waiting. They were waiting for a new reality. And those 400 silent years that, that the song talked about were anything but silent. If you start studying that, that period, it's called intertestamental history, the period between the Old Testament and the New Testament. There's about 400 years there where there were no prophets that were writing anything that got recorded in Scripture. There were lots of things that got written. And there was a whole group of literature, or there is a whole group of literature that was written during that time called apocalyptic literature. And that literature talks about the coming of the Messiah. People were waiting. They were anticipating. They were trying to guess what it was going to be like when the Messiah would come because <coughs> excuse me, they were in a great deal of trouble. But this happened before all that 400 years. 
And so here's the story of Isaiah. He lived about 2,400 years ago. And during the reign of some of the last kings of the nation of Israel, during Isaiah's time, the Assyrians, the group of people that, that are now um, probably the Kurds and the Iraqis, came along. They were the ones whose capital city was Nineveh. They came along and, and they went and captured the northern kingdom of Israel. The, the country of Israel had split in two. There was this little, little lump down in the bottom with Judah and Benjamin and the city of Jerusalem. And then there was the rest. And the rest got captured and the people got taken away. And Sennacherib, who was the commander of those forces, came and knocked on the doors of Jerusalem and said, We're going to get you too. And you can read the story about King Hezekiah, how he went and, and spread out the letter before the Lord, and God delivered them and all the rest of that kind of stuff. And some wonderful things happened. But there were some bad kings and some good kings. Babylon was, was kind of sitting in the wing there and, and ready to rise up. The political and economic climate was poor. Some of the kings were personal opportunists. They had no real interest in spiritual and national righteousness. And Hezekiah reigned well, but he was followed by a man by the name of Manasseh, who was one of the most cruel and one of the most corrupt kings that Israel had ever had. And this guy reigned for some 50-some-odd years. And tradition said that during the reign of Manasseh, that Isaiah was martyred by being sawn in two. And um, uh, you read about some of that in the list of heroes in Hebrews chapter 11. Isaiah isn't mentioned by name, but tradition says that's how Isaiah met his end. And the writing appeared to be on the wall for Jerusalem. It's not a matter of if something bad was going to happen. It's a matter of when that was going to happen. And then you look at Chapter 61, and here you take a quantum leap from the, the reality in which Isaiah lived, which was, was over here, and Isaiah says, this is my world, and it really bites. But here's what God says. Here's what God says. And so he says, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news for the poor. Good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, the release from darkness for the prisoners. Those were dark days. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. They weren't feeling particularly favored. And the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to provide for those who grieve in Zion. People were grieving. To bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes. Ashes is something you put on your head when people were in mourning. The oil of gladness instead of mourning and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. And so here was this good news. Isaiah said there's going to be healing for hearts that are breaking from wounds of grief and loss and abandonment. There is going to be freedom from people who feel imprisoned by contempt and abuse and humiliation or political captivity. There's going to be comfort and hope for people who are in despair because their lives don't measure up to what their lives could be. There's going to be new clothing, clothing of festive attire for those whose lives have been torn apart. We're going to change your songs and your poems and instead of dirges and eulogies, 
There are going to be songs and poems of hope and joy. We're going to change your identity. Instead of being a crushed and defeated and enslaved people, you're going to be this new being that's going to enjoy freedom. And there's going to be the dawning of a new era that is immersed in the love of God, a community that is defined by peace and justice and mutuality and integrity. And people say, when? Twenty-four hundred years. Twenty-four hundred years since those words have been written and we're still waiting. Are we there yet? No. But can you hear those words? Put yourself on the corner of the main drag and center street in Nippon, somewhere around the credit union, and say those words over the people of Nippon. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine standing, there's someone standing there and saying, the Lord has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted in Nippon to proclaim freedom for the captives, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, to comfort all those who mourn, to provide for those who grieve. Can you imagine those words being spoken there? Can you hear those promises being spoken in a place like Afghanistan? Can you hear those promises being spoken in a place like Haiti where people are so desperately poor? In a place like Sudan or Somalia? In a place like Zimbabwe where there's corruption on every side? In a place like Saudi Arabia where it's illegal to even think about the name of Jesus Christ, let alone mention it? Can you imagine those words being spoken on, on the streets of East Hastings in Vancouver, where there's all that despair and drug addiction and homelessness. Can you imagine what it would look like if those things would actually come true? Can you imagine those words being spoken in the towns and cities of Mexico where people are being killed every day by drug cartels and drug pushers? You see, we're waiting. We've been waiting. And we keep asking ourselves, like, when, Lord, when is this going to happen? When, Lord, for verse 8, for I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and iniquity. In my faithfulness I will reward them and make an everlasting covenant with them. Their descendants will be known among the nations and their offspring among the peoples. All who see them will acknowledge that they are a people the Lord has blessed. We don't see that in Israel right now. When will that happen? And here's where for you and me the reality of faith needs to meet the road of life. Here's where we pull on our Christian boots. Here is where we say, here I believe scripture. Here is my faith. Here is what I'm, what I'm living for. You see, because faith sees a whole lot more than a cute little nice smelling baby in a manger in Bethlehem. I don't know if that baby smelled nice that day or not. Probably didn't have a bath, but you know what a new, nicely new bath baby smells like? All soft and and, and squishy and cuddly and all the rest of that stuff. I'm a man, okay? <laughs> I, I'm hearing this, ancient squishy. 
Well, they are, you know. And, and we know, we know that that baby in Bethlehem went on to grow to become a man. And he died on a cross, and so faith looks beyond the manger. When, and, and we see, you know, it's not about Christmas, but really it's not about Calvary. When we see the cross of Calvary. It, that's not just God's program. Faith looks beyond the manger. It sees the cross. It looks beyond the cross, and it sees the empty tomb. But we've got to even look beyond that. We've got to look beyond the empty tomb. And God has this new world, this new program, this whole glorious thing planned. And it's going to happen, and we're still waiting for it. Faith sees a new community, a new world ruled by peace and justice and righteousness. Faith sees right past this world in which you and I live. Faith sees right into eternity and changes the values of this world for the values of that which is to come. Faith brings hope. And hope helps us to wait and ultimately to live while we're waiting. And faith brings us out of despair. Turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 4. These words were repeated once again. These words from Isaiah and we read them in Luke chapter 4. But let me read you a little bit of that story and then go on from there. Luke chapter 4, and we're beginning to read there at verse 14. <coughs> Luke says that Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. We're beyond the manger. We're between the manger and the cross. Jesus returned to Galilee. He taught in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. And he stood up to read. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written. Boy, these words are going to sound familiar. The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled back the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him, and he began by saying to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Fulfilled? How come we still live in a messy world? Was Jesus wrong? Did he lie? No. Fulfilled? Yes. Partially, to a point. But we're between the cross and the manger. And this is not just about the manger. This is not just about the cross. This is not just about the empty tomb. This is about what is yet to come down the road. And we have seen part of it fulfilled, but the reality is yet to come. And so my question to you this morning is this, are we there yet? No. Are you tired of waiting? Getting there. 
Are we going to give up? No. Do we need to wait some more? Yes. How much longer? Don't know. Should we lose hope? Not a chance. So what do we need to do? We need to keep the faith and hang on. The kingdom is on its way. You see, we're here celebrating Christmas. We have Christmas trees. We have the Advent candles. We're planning a Christmas social. There's going to be a Christmas Eve service. There will be a service here on Christmas Day. By the way, um, for those of you that, that should choose to be here, why? Because if Jesus Christ came once, we believe that Jesus Christ came once. That's why we celebrate Christmas. We believe that that was not some mythological event, that this thing actually happened, that a virgin uh, conceived by the Holy Spirit, and she, she carried this baby to term, and she delivered this baby, and he grew up, and he went to Calvary, and he, he died there, and then he rose again, and he's back with the Father in heaven. We know all that. But if we're celebrating Christmas, we need to recognize that we're also going to celebrate again at his second coming. If he came once, he is surely coming again. And we may get tired of waiting and we may say, Lord, how much longer is this going to take? It's like when you're a little kid. I know my dad used to always have to read the Christmas story and then pray before we opened the presents. Come on, Dad, don't pray so long. I've been waiting for such a long time. Is he coming? He surely is. Are we tired of waiting? Yeah, sometimes we get tired of it. And we get tired of dealing with the reality of a fallen and a broken world, but God is going to come and fix it. It got marred. He's going to come and fix it. All that you and I need to do is to wait, to desperate, not desperately wait, but to hang on in faith. Faith says if he came once, he will come again. You know what? I'm waiting for that. And uh, I'll be ready for it when it comes. Father, we've got all our eggs in one basket. That basket says that Jesus Christ will come again. Our faith is in you. Our faith is in him. So, Father, we pray that you would give us patience in waiting. We pray, Father, that you would continue to provide for our needs. Father, give us hope. We have that hope that if Jesus came once, he will surely come again. So, Lord, until that time happens, um, we just pray for your patience. We pray for your perseverance. And we pray that your kingdom would come, that your will would be done here on earth as it is in heaven. Now may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all. Amen. Bless you. Have a wonderful day.